Yes, everybody, welcome to another episode of Out of Your League, the beautiful Mark Flanagan. I can see him on my computer screen in the, the top right corner. You're, you are a beautiful man, Mark, despite what people say about you. You know, what, what's inside the head on the outside still looks very good. What do they say about me inside my head? I, like, I don't want to be starting that sort of stuff, but, you know, just don't read any sort of forums or or going on any other websites or, you know, or any of the reviews oh. about this podcast, for, for that matter. Yes, I do... I do struggle to read anyway, so that's that's fine. And speak, which is astonishing that you do a podcast. But well, I love you, and it's always great to have you. No, <laughs> no, John Wilkin this week. Uh, which I always mug off the other person when the other person's not here. So what can we say about John Wilkin this week? That's nasty. Um, uh, well, we said he, he likes basking in the limelight, so he's probably basking in some yes. uh, sunshine in a, in a similar sense in posh, pretentious area of Greece. I'd say. Yeah, he's always like known self- as the. Smoother, wasn't he at Saints? <laughs> we used to call him the Smoother. The sh- oh, the I like that. Smoother, like always networking. Always trying to get his fingers in different pies. <laughs> keep it going. Keep, that mysterious voice, keep it going. Say something else bad about him. Say something else bad. I mean, I, I'll, I'll throw one. He's like a, a lizard basking in the limelight. Any, anyone's got any limelight? Shine it on Wilkin. He'll bask in it. Mm. <laughs> oh, where's a camera? Oh, where's it? Oh, BBC Sky. Oh, oh, I love like you. me, like me, like me. Pay me, pay me, pay me. Pathetic. Um, but that beautiful <laughs> voice that you just heard come in there—that sounded almost sort of Barry White-esque. If you sat in your car, I just love this imagery, Mark. People are driving along, going, "Then I'll ask stupid voices." But who was that? Who was that? I hear you yeah. crying. It was the one and only Michael Shenton. Welcome to Out of Your League. How are you? Very good, thank you. A little bit emotional this week, but um, now I'm pretty good. Emotional because you, the end is nigh, and look, you've got this is, this is going to be like a therapy session for you because Mark has been through this. I mean, Mark, over the last sort of eighteen months or so, Wilkin probably wouldn't have offered much help. You'd have just said something sarcastic, but he's also been through it. Big, big decision, Michael. Um, how how did it sort of come about? And I guess was it made now, or did did you make it sort of you know eighteen months, two years ago that this was going to be the time? Uh. Yeah, it's been made a while, if I'm honest. It was kind of going into this season, the start of last pre-season, that um, I kind of knew my contract would be up this year. And uh, I'm pretty close with our coach, Daryl Powell, and I kind of knew what his plans are moving forward. He had another year on his contract after this, but I knew he he, he was ready for a new challenge. And um, and I agree with that. I thought the, the group and the, the club was ready for a bit of a change at the top. Um, ready for... a maybe some fresh voices coming in, a little bit of a different direction. Um, and sometimes change is good, sometimes change is, is what you need. And, and I think he thought he needed the change. And, and then I was speaking to him about that and I was thinking, what, what's my plans moving forward? Um, and I knew that would bring about the end of a bit of an era we've had at Castleford here. Um, it's kind of, since he came in, we've, we've kind of transformed the club a little bit and changed it and, and, and we've created a little bit of a, momentum for ourselves over, I suppose, an eight-year period, really. Um, I think we've, we've done pretty well and, and we've transformed the, the kind of fortunes of the club a little bit and, and turned us from being a, a bottom 16 to a top 16. So, um, but for me personally, um, I just thought, do you know what? To go out on my own terms is something I've always wanted to do as well. It's something I've thought about. And, and obviously, you never know when injury can strike or you never get offered a contract, something like that might happen, but to finish as a Super League player, and, and that's pretty important to me, so to be able to do that um, was important to me, but we kind of, the boys have known for a while, like through pre-season we've kind of used it as a bit of a hook really, that myself, uh, Grant Milliton was was just about, realised he wanted to retire, wasn't 100% sure, so we had a few boys that have, have been kind of in our leadership group for a while, an important part of the group that we're calling it day, Daryl and the coaching team leaving. Um, I just thought, you know what, it's it's probably a, a, a good way to finish us finishing together as well. So that that helped it a little bit, but me, 35 now, in the outside backs and stuff, it's ready for a bit of a, a new challenge. Not quite sure what that challenge is, but mentally, something a little bit different as well. Try and sum it up, Mark, as well, because you tried to explain it to me. And look, someone like me will never really get it, will they? But it's when you know, you know. And I know there's the side of your body telling you to, but it's not just that, is it? There's all sorts of other overriding emotions. Yeah, um, 
I, I can a few a few of what Michael says there said there resonate with me in my final year. I think I knew um, in my last preseason that um, I didn't want to carry on in terms of you have to invest so much energy, so much of your, of your life um, to play professional sport, and it just for me it got to a phase where it probably wasn't worth it. It was it was taking too much out of my life, and it was. Um, it had too much of an impact on my body as well for, for me to carry on. And I thought, I'll just give it one last blast. And it was, it was really hard uh, emotionally getting up for every session, every match at times. Um, but I think Shenny's probably similar to herself that um, I never wanted to just to exist at a club and take a paycheck and, and not you know produce the goods or, or do the club and the shirt proud. I, I always wanted to be fully invested and um, give a good reflection of myself because... Um, you know, it's it's a real honour to play for for these for these clubs like Salford and Castleford with with rich history. So, um, yeah, I knew probably at the start of my last season. And do you know what? I think when I made the decision, I enjoyed my rugby a little bit more. I probably um, I'd revel in you know a good win or being around the lads. I kind of appreciated it a bit a bit more because I knew it wouldn't be there forever. Um, but something I think we'll touch on later is the success of Cass. And I think. Um, for a team that was, you know, late two thousands up to like two thousand and ten, they were um, a relegation ish team. You know, they'd always be in the scrap. They'd always be um, down near the bottom of the table. And um, to see their progress over these last eight years has, has has been quite astonishing, to be honest. Because they don't have the budgets of the bigger clubs, but they've always been um, challenging for playoff spots. They've always um, been, you know, in finals and challenging for silverware and. Um, they've had some of the best players in the comp player for them for the last eight years. And I think um, Daryl Powell needs to take a lot of credit for that because, you know, he steers the ship. But um, from my point of view, I've always known that successful teams have successful leaders and successful leadership groups. And I remember when we, we spoke to Damon Hughes, he, he coined it as a cultural architect. Those those people, those personalities that go to training every day and, and take the field that lead by example. And, you know, Shenny's obviously... A, a key, a key person in that at Castleford. So you know, I think you know the likes of Millington and and Shenny and you know Andy Lynch and Matt Cook. I'm, I'm sure previously were like that. And, and Paul McShane, they've got to take a lot of credit for the success that Castleford had over these last you know eight, seven or eight years. Mm, yeah, we're definitely going to get onto that cash journey, Michael. But I mean, you you are the self-titled chief procrastinator. So quite ironic that you've come to a big decision eventually. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh... Tom, our media manager, has nearly grabbed me once a month since pre-season saying, when do you want to announce it? <laughs> when do you want to announce it? <laughs> I'm not... I don't know yet, mate. Let's just leave it. I'll know when I want to announce it. Um, it's like the decision was made, but my procrastination side of it was just going, no, I'll just... I'll, I'll, I'll put it off. <laughs> There's always something else going on in my life that, that can, uh, can stop it. Um, but like I said, the decision has been made and... and like Mike says, there's a lot, there's a lot going on there, and, and uh, I think when you know, and uh, I kind of resonate when he was saying about once you've made that decision, you can enjoy it. And one of my main goals going into this year, that I have two kind of goals, is to enjoy every moment, even the pre-season, even that kind of stuff, and all the time with the boys, all the hard work sessions, all the socials that you didn't get to have because of COVID, but um, then every game is enjoy every moment on the pitch live and breathe it um, and then the other goal was to give ourselves one last chance at, at, at winning some silverware and uh, I shared my goals with the group uh, early on in the season just to kind of say look this is where I'm at this is what I want to achieve this year and we had other boys do, do similar things and, and just to kind of create that emotional hook within the team and try and do something special and, and we've already been on one special run this season um, fortunately came in St Helens and looked pretty good in the Challenge Cup final but it kind of comes down to the end of the season now when we've got even more emotion riding on it with guys actually it's it's, it's real now uh, and they're kind of doing this and I've done a little bit of media this morning and things like that so really coming to like people asking me I've got a game coming up Thursday it's my last ever home game at the Jungle which when you put it like that it kind of hits on like a ton of bricks when it's been part of my life 16 years as a professional and then three, four years as a junior. It's been a massive place for me, really. So, uh, no, to be able to enjoy that with all that kind of stuff, emotional kind of baggage and stuff, 
riding on it, it's uh, it's been a pretty special year as well. I'm just checking in there that you're not going to do something silly like Wilkin and kind of, you know, you have your testimonial, you waste all your testimonial cash on your divorce, and then you think, I'm going to retire and this is it. And and then suddenly, you know, like one more challenge, you get tempted. Someone turns up with a brown envelope with some money in it. And it's like, come to Toronto. Come on, we can convince you. It's going to be the, the, the dream ending. Or is this wow. it? Because it, it, it? 35 is 35 is not. I mean, you know, if you're old, I'm I'm ancient. Yeah, but 400 plus Super League, well, 400 plus first grade games will tell you a little bit different. I feel a little bit older <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than 35. Yeah, um, especially play, playing Wilco the outside backs as well. Yeah, oh yeah, there's some sharp guys in there. Um, <laughs> Wilco was just playing a bit of touch and pass in a dinner jacket towards the back end. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I think I think I got heard what he got offered, so I don't think many people would turn that down. Like I'm looking. <laughs> I mean, look, there's no there's no secrets here, especially as he's not here to defend himself. It's the it's the time to mug him off, so we can we can disclose that figure later on in the podcast. Look, um, going back then to to early days, I always I always like going back. I mean, it's a bit of a theme to this podcast, but it's it's a bit kind of like you know I feel like Michael Aspel. I'm going to come out with a red book at the end and just give it to you. But you grew up, I'm told, on the same street in in Townville as. As Rob Burrow, were you, were you were you mates as kids? Yeah, he's what's Rob? He's three or four years older than me, but hundred percent. Yeah, it's a little cul-de-sac. Um, strangely enough, James Clare, who plays on the wing for Castleford, um, he grew up opposite me as well. So we have three kind of Super League players grew up in a in a cul-de-sac of probably thirty houses. Um, but it was a kind that people come from like our little neighbourhood down onto our cul-de-sac to play. We used to play you know, the game Drive Back Flash, T&P, but Rob Burrow was just a different level. He just knew from 10 years old, he was just unbelievable, the sharpness, just just what you remember him as a Super League player, he was that at 10 years old. He was incredible. Um, and just such a nice person. Uh, yeah, and just, he's one of the reasons I got into rugby because just the way everyone looked at him, the way he was, his nature, is kind of the way he kind of you everyone knew he was the best but he didn't act like that there's no arrogance or anything about Rupert his humility is amazing um, and that's what makes him such a special person and such a great player as well so uh, very fortunate really to have someone like that to look up to tell us a bit about about Pontefract I mean um, you know for those who've never been it's G- Gailey's from Pontefract Mark isn't he I think as well Luke Gale well, I seem to remember well, um, he's, it's a, it's he's a late, massive Nah, Gailey's oh. Miggy. He's middle and Gailey. Yeah, he's rough. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's Pontifract. 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 Pontifract's lovely. It's really posh Pontifract. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Gailey's... I'm not sure about that. Leads. I'm not sure about that last statement. <laughs> but it's a, it's yeah, a, it's a massive rugby league league town, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Who do you support? You're roughing it, Mark Flanagan. Mark Flanagan, no, no, he's from Saddle. We're, we're, simi- we're similar. We're similar. Harrow and Will's World's up here, whereas you know <laughs> Gailey, Middleton is below here, and then we're just like on the surface, Jenny. I'll say. What's what's the go-to team then? If you're from Pontefract, is it is it Wakey, Cass, Featherstone? Who, who does everyone go to? Oh, it's it's mixed really. In Pontefract, uh, Castleford, Featherstone split, um, and then you have Normanton which is quite a rugby league hotbed, really. But that's split between Wakefield and Castleford, a little bit of Featherstone, really. So uh, we have so many teams so close, I suppose. Featherstone, Wakefield, and then Cass. Um, of course, Cass have probably got the most fans. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously the rivalry is pretty, pretty fierce for a kind of a small, a small area, really. I, t- I take it you've obviously kept in touch with Rob and so on. I mean... We've had Rob on the podcast a couple of times, and you know, some of the documentaries recently have been just so powerful, so, so unbelievable what he's doing, and you know, the impact that he's still having, I think, is is incredible. But what do you make of, of Rob's situation when you look at it? Oh, it's it's incredibly sad. Um, yeah, that, it's 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 hard to sum up really, but I think it just shows his courage and his character to keep on doing what he's doing, um, to keep putting himself out there. And, driving things then you hear about the centres he's going to be putting up and and driving motor neurons kind of cars as well and, and, and creating awareness that just shows what a selfless person he is um, and then obviously 
he's obviously a fantastic dad and he has great people around him. I know Jeff, his dad, pretty well. Um, obviously through the GMB and, and, and things like that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's incredibly sad to that, but it's so inspirational as well. He's just epitomizes what it is to be inspirational and, and, and that courage and stuff for, to be a five foot five rugby player and play at the level he did and take some of the knocks he did, but also be the top of his game for so long. And then he's took that into what he's doing now. He was in coaching at Leeds and then obviously we found out such a sad news and of what he's going through now. Um, but the way he's, he's facing up to it and dealing with it, I just think, I think inspirational is the word for me to, to epitomise it. I love that bit of imagery as well that you painted there on the, on the streets of town where you're playing touch rugby with him. He's three years older than you. He's probably about one foot five, wasn't he, back then, but still tearing it up <laughs> and ripping everyone, <laughs> ripping everyone to pieces. Um, look, just going back then to, to your cast debut, because that was a massive moment for you, wasn't it? As you say, Pontefract lad, you know, it's a big cast area. Uh, 2004, you put on the shirt for the first time. Um, well, sorry, 2005, because the club were relegated, weren't they, 2004? So you actually got a really big opportunity there in the championship to kick off your career. 100%. Uh, well, I made my debut in 2004. Uh, we had quite a few injuries to our first team and, um, and I was going pretty well in the under-18s at 17. And, and our coach, Green Steadman, got, got sacked. Um, it must have it made quite some difficult recruitment changes. We'd have people left, people like Danny R. Um, had, had gone who were holding the team together really he'd signed up Wigan um, so people that were probably what you're talking about there in cultural architects and things like that at the club uh, disappeared and the club was in a bit of transition and Graham was trying to bring in experienced guys but with that the older guys and experienced guys came injuries and not the durability that you'd expect so when you haven't got those experienced guys on the field it's very tough and um they had, a, they had a tough year and for me to come into that and I, I, I'm not going to say it was great making my debut, it was fantastic, but as a player, I wasn't really ready for that at 17. Um, I think back now and sometimes you've got to be chucked in the deep end and you've got to sink or swim kind of thing and it is, you have to learn quick. Uh, and at some point in a rugby league career, whether you're 17 or 20 and you make your debut, it, I think it feels like that for everybody. You're a little bit out of your depth. But you've got to learn fast. You've got to learn quick. And I made three or four appearances that year. But then, yeah, so the club's kind of misfortune in getting relegated that season was my fortune, really. Because um, then they had to, the team had to be fully reformed. They kept a couple of players on, but most of it was gone and it was a full rebuild, um, mixing up ex-championship players, some older Super League players, and then promoting youth. But we had quite a strong youth system at the time. We were the 2004 under-18 champions that year. So we had quite a strong academy system in place. And the club, don't know if they had faith in us, but financially, there was there was no budget and stuff because the club had lost the Sky funding, the broadcast money. Had to promote us at the time. Um, so fortunately then I was thrust into the first team and we they kept us at full time. So obviously with my development, that was... That was massively beneficial, really. And uh, a new coach came in, and, and we had Dave Woods from a, from Australia, like the Dave Woods, the BBC presenter, but <laughs> Dave Woods from Australia. Big fella. <laughs> big fella, Dave Woods. The big fella. Big he, fella. But He was a large champion. man, wasn't he? He was, mate, yeah. So he does st still a little bit of radio and things like that around the place, but um, typical Aussie. But sometimes Aussies are great for the environment and building a building a team from scratch and I think he did a good job and for me him and our under 18s coach Dean Sampson then was promoted to assistant coach so with that came a little bit of um, recognition on this part that I could do a job at that level and fortunately for me played majority of that season and who else who else came through with that that, that side of it was Craig Huby one of them because um, it's, it's so Craig played a little bit like, more yeah yeah because sometimes when a group of young lads come through at the same time they can start a little bit, they can start a bit of a dynasty and they start, you know, implementing, you know, those character traits and that success they've had at younger teams. And I think it helps if there's two or three of the same same age group coming through together and it probably probably helps if they're all playing at the same time, I'd say. 
yeah, help, helps that, but also helps us feel comfortable in the environment as well. Because it, it can be quite daunting coming into first team. So to be with people that you're familiar with and comfortable with is sometimes easier. As much as you've got to step out of that at times, sometimes it, it's a bit rough and tumble and, and it's to have that comfortable nature. But we all always challenged each other. We grew up obviously through the junior ranks together and things like that. So we knew how to push each other and, and, and support each other. Uh, people like Andy Kane went on to have good championship careers. Obviously, Craig Uwe, good Super League career. Uh, Sean Lunt came through that system from Huddersfield, uh, okay, et cetera. So uh, we had some talented boys that, that kind of learned the trade in the championship at, at that time. It was quite a, a sort of a time of turmoil, really, for the club, wasn't it? Because you were up and down, you know, you got promoted again. I think you were, you know, National League one grand final winners in 2005 and 2007. Um, compared to the cast at the peak of its powers, just try and elaborate a bit more on what was going on behind the scenes. I mean, was the club even close to folding at that time? It's, you heard, heard rumours about that. They were pretty good at kind of hiding that stuff from us, but you heard stories for certain years when definitely the club was in financial trouble and we were very fortunate that Jack Fulton, our chairman at the time, was sadly uh, passed away now. Um, Save the club, certain, definitely a few times. Um, but when we have promotion relegation, it, it does create a lot of uncertainty. And, and when you're a young player, it doesn't so much matter. I mean, it, it created my opportunity to develop as a first team. So for me, it's selfishly, it helped, helped me, but the club financially took a massive hit. Um, you lose supporters with that, you lose your funding, you lose people buying your shirt, your merchandise sales, everything takes a bit of a hit. But on the back of it, I've, the club managed to rebuild and, and go again. Uh, but the problem you get there is once you get relegated, you don't get parachute payments and things like that. So it's so hard then. We got promoted straight away. But then come 2006, we were relegated again. Catalan were introduced. They were given a three-year exemption from, from relegation. And, and we were relegated straight away. Um, the following year, in that million-pound game against Wakefield. So... He, Talk about the kind of roller coaster it was. It was, it was for a player, the emotional roller coaster at Castleford at the time was, was massive. Um, to deal with that, the pressure it puts on you is incredible. I still remember the back end of 2006 now and playing that game. I remember crying at the end of that game because we got relegated. Because we'd, we'd won some spectacular games through that year. We'd, we had a group that had bonded, but just didn't have that longevity that creates the culture that you sometimes need to. To, to win some games that you shouldn't really win, to to go places and people that have got the club's best interests at heart. Sometimes when you get promoted, I don't want to say this, but sometimes I don't want to call players mercenary because you've got to do what's best for you, but you have players that, yeah, I'll just take a one-year contract to end of my career or, yeah, Castle coming, it's an easy contract for me. Um, mm. you want John Wilkin, for example. Two, three... <laughs> You've got to remember, I can't hammer him too much because he has a big platform to hammer people back. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, don't get him on Derek um, Beaumont again. Well, that's for another day. Uh, so you want to build what Clash is talking about there is, is, is building a team around a group of young players that, um, that can hold the club and have got the club's best interests at heart. And some of the best ideas of that are your you St. Helens, your Wiggins, your Leeds, who really promote these group of young players players at a time and, and you can see that their core values stand with the club's core values and, and their hearts are with the with the club and, and when you've got to build a team from scratch and and bring your senior players in from outside sometimes very very tough to get that um, and that's why I think originally we've got rid of promotion relegation and obviously we, we keep chopping and changing things but that's a, that's a, I suppose a, a discussion for a different time but for a club like well, Castleford, no, I mean let, let, let's 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 bit. have it because I think it's an interesting one. I was about to ask you, Mark, where where do you sit with it? Where do you think the majority of fans sit with it? Because you know, Super League, a tinkering one minute, you know, oh, it's a great thing. The next minute, not so much. Look, and, and it can rip, as Michael's kind of explained there, it can rip the heart out of a club, can't it? Relegation, especially without parachute payments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Boardrooms want security, stability, and therefore, you know, want franchise, I imagine. But then fans want the jeopardy. They want, I mean, look at the whole debate in football with the European Super League. You know, that doesn't sit well with English-British culture. We want ups and downs. We want that drama. Yeah, I think sometimes when you're striving for drama and jeopardy, it can 
you can just do it for the sake of it and it can confuse people and you know there's there's match there's leagues all the time where you know there's not nothing much to play for but apart from pride and I, I still think there's a place for that. Uh, personally, I'm not in favour of promotion and relegation in our sport. Um, I think there's too much of a gap between the quality in in the Championship as there is in uh, Super League. I think the, the window for recruitment and preparing teams for, for that, ne- that next step is, is too short. We've seen this year Lee have only won two matches, you know, and I know last season was a bit of a mess, but Toronto, I think, failed to win a game at the start of the season. So I find that through no fault of their own, whichever championship team is, is promoted are quite often cannon fodder for the rest of Super League. And I personally don't think there's probably 12 teams that are up to the standard of of, um, of the rest. You know, there's there's a big gap between the top five or six, seven, eight teams. And below that, you know, on the field, off the field, there's certain teams that, you know, just making the numbers up. And um, I'd, I'd go back to a franchise system and I'd... Um, I'd, I'd I'd allow teams from from the championship to, to be included as long as they meet certain parameters and certain metrics around, you know, performance, um, um, turnover, uh, fan engagement, getting attendances up, uh, because there's a lot more good that goes into it than just performance on, on, on the pitch. And um, I think we're at probably quite a crossroads in the sport at the minute with, you know, TV deals. And um, I know there's um, been a, a little group set up to kind of push the game forward, but um, I think you know we need some more outside voices, some outside ears and, and eyes, and um, people from different backgrounds, and rather than just relying on you know the same people that have run, run the game for the last twenty years, taking the sport forward when you know there's it's a different different world out there. There's a different sporting landscape. We're all rugby league, football reunion, cricket. We're all you know fighting for the same eyeballs as well as lots of social media and video game stuff. So um, it's it's a tricky time for the sport, but I, I kind of think that. A licensing franchise system is, is the way to go. Michael, what were those last couple of years like in your first spell at, at Cass? How much did the club try and keep you? How much did you push to leave? Because I know from what I read, and tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, you didn't quite think that they had the same ambitions as you. You were, you know, approaching your peak as a as a player, um, and then obviously Saint Helens came calling. So, so 2010, what was that like when you when you had to come to that decision to leave? And did you always think you were going to be a one club man? Yeah, it, I can remember it now, it, very vividly. Uh, 2009 um, was one of my favourite years in, in the sport, uh, individually, I think as a team. We got to the playoffs that year, we just started feeling a little bit different. But then we didn't kick on from that in 2010. Um, I was playing for England at the time. And then it's just getting to the point where, well, who are we signing? What's our ambition for the club? What's, are we changing things and, and I got caught up in a little bit of that and things like where's the club going and sometimes you just focus as a player but at the same time you I had an agent at the time um, saying look there's these offers here look at these clubs wanting you and, and you got that chance of silverware and sometimes um, it's not the easiest thing to do but I always thought you know I want to test myself I'd love to test myself and go and, go and play at one of the big teams you never know when you think, oh, that could be there on my next contract. But the contract before that, I agreed to stay at Castleford. Um, I had the chance to leave then, but I stayed. Um, and it was, a, it was a massive decision, not something I took lightly, but a club like St. Helens comes in for you. You've got to, you've got to give them the time of day and, and respect that and, and take the offer very seriously. And, and I did that and, and I love what they have to say. And it's always a team that's the brand of rugby they play is is something that really appeals to me and what they stand for as a club was massive in, in my decision to go there um, and now so yeah made a decision to go there very very tough one though obviously Castlewood at my heart and things like that and, and been through the journey I've been on with them through the promotion and relegations and, and kind of trying to grow the club from within and growing into one of the the players that was probably in, in the nucleus of the team so um and not many of our players were getting offers to go to players to players for clubs like that either. The, the cliched question, but do you regret that happening with the hindsight that you had two years? I know you had your injuries at Saints as well, and you were a grand final runner-up. You know, you came to a Saint Helens team that was in a bit of a transition as well, and obviously you had Wilkin there. You were there with Flash for a little bit as well. But 
having got then gone back to Cass, would you, if you had the chance, be able to erase that from the history and stay at Cass the whole time? Not a chance. No, no. I uh, I love my time. Uh, played pretty good in my my first year. My second year was pretty injuries and didn't kind of hit the form that I, I should have. Um, but no, the stuff I learned kind of learned at St. Helens was massively important to my development. Um, and I don't underestimate that no bit. And uh, I know Wilco's not here, but he was a big part of that. Uh, and I, obviously, we know the media personality and people know him from that side of it. But kind of don't underestimate how important John Wilkin was to that to that group and Paul Wellens. Uh, obviously, James Graham's in there as well. But those two guys were the gel in that team. They were the standard bearers. They were the people that drove that. They stood for St. Helens. They had St. Helens back and. And to see that kind of, that was their team. I know Wilco's from Hull, but really, he's grown up through that St. Helens system. He's grown up winning trophies with that team. And and it didn't really matter what the coach said. They had their opinions on how the club should be run, how you, what the players should be doing, how they should be kind of approaching it, um, how professional they should be, the, the, the standard drivers, the standard bearers of the team. To see that leadership, in action is not something I'd, I'd seen before, if I'm honest. Um, so for me, I don't think I would have. I wouldn't have stepped away and, and, and seen that, um, and seen the kind of winning culture that they they drove. So it was massive important to my development, I suppose, in what I turned to next and the route and path I went down as as wanting to be a captain and, and somebody that kind of stood for that kind of thing for my team. When I went back to Castleford, and that's something I, I took back to Castleford with me. I remember when I was at uh, Salford for my um, the first couple of years, I could tell the players that had been at big clubs in strong cultures around great leaders and, and great environments. So that's, you know, lads who've been at Wigan, Saints, Warrington, probably Leeds. Because I think they have a different outlook on training and, and winning and, and competing. Um, and I think having players that have been in those, you know, surroundings really helps, helps a club like a Salford or a Cast that are trying to reach the heights of those of those bigger teams and try and break through into the top four or five teams. And yeah, it was something that I knew when a big game would come along that the lads who'd, who'd been used to playing Wigan Saints derbies off, off the leads in the grand finals, they were used to that pressure and because it had been a constant throughout their career previously. And uh, I think you know, getting the rest of the players up to that standard was something that you know I tried to implement and tried to push and promote through, through speaking and actions. But, uh, I think yeah. Once you've been around that kind of environment with with great leaders and players, it kind of it does rub off on you, rub off on you, and you can you know take it to where you go next. And I certainly did that at Salford. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you made your Saints debut, didn't you? I think in the sort of the the, the last few months that, that Michael was there at Saints, and obviously this is all in the build up to the 2014 Grand Final at Wigan with Ben Flower, etc., wasn't it? So you know you'd left before that that Grand Final success. Uh, Michael, there. What kind of club was was Saints at that time, pre Kieran Cunningham? Um, it was twenty twelve your last season, wasn't it, Shenny? Yeah, twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was that was Roy the year Simmons. that Roy got sacked. Yeah. You so could... Roy Simmons was in two eleven. We got to the grand final, and then he wasn't given too much time to be honest. Come two thousand twelve, we had a bit of a shaky start to the season. And it took a defeat away at Bradford, um, and that was the final straw, really. Uh, Kieran Cunningham and Mike Rush then took over. Um, so, for as a as a player coming in, it it, it really changed. Um, wasn't what I was expecting, really, because um, they didn't. Kieran was promoted to coach, but they didn't bring a new coach in. They were, they were obviously waiting for Nathan Brown the the year later. Uh, and I think that that did hurt my game a lot um, in the structures that we wanted to play and, and stuff for me to, to play the centre. Um, did hurt me a little bit. And then the club made a decision that, yeah, we're going to go a different path. Probably Nathan Brown in there as well. Um, wanted a change in there, which no issues with. I, I wasn't playing my best rugby at the time. Uh, giving a little bit more time, I think, and, and under Nathan Brown, I probably could have uh, done something different uh, and performed at a better level. And I think I proved that a couple of years later in 2014, I was back playing some really good rugby. Um, 
So sometimes it's just you need that right coach to bring the best out in you sometimes as well. And I don't think I kind of got that at times and, and obviously didn't help myself as well. So sometimes you just you need the change of environment. And and for me, the opportunity came back to, to come back to Castleford was a very big one as well. Not many players go back to where they come from. They don't go back to where you've been. And I heard that. Well, you never go back, Michael. That's the thing, isn't it? You, I mean, you, you know, I've got six ex-girlfriends who would, you know, vehemently say that I should never have gone back and it never worked out. And it, it got quite nasty, Mark, in the end. And there was legal cases. And- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know from personal experience, you've been back a few times and it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, well. it doesn't work out. But look, in, in, gen- in general, in sport, and you know, we're, we're talking at a time where Cristiano Ronaldo has just gone back to Manchester United. But in, in all sorts of sports, it doesn't. It never really works out. It obviously did in your case, you know. But it, it, it very yeah, often well, doesn't. You, that was that in your mind when you were thinking about returning. Hundred percent. There was so many things going on. Uh, but for me, it was it was the first real time that I suppose I'd been rejected as a player. I've always been, yeah, we want, we'd like to sign you. Yeah, we want to do this, we want to do this with you. Uh, never really been dropped from the team. And and then to have that happen, is, is a, it's, like, it's like a bullet to the heart. It, it, it's painful. Um, but as a sportsman, you've got to take that stuff. You've got to be resilient. You've got to move on fast. Um, and for me, I'm quite competitive. And, and to be able to prove them wrong and go, no, actually... I'm going to do something here. I'm going to go back. I'm going to take what I've take what I've learned and, and try and implement it. And I think I came back to Castle with a different, a different man, a different player. Someone I'd learned a whole lot from my time. It was a short time, but I'd learned a lot from the obviously the previous experience that I thought about leadership, about cultures, about the winning mentality. So for my for my development, it was important to see that. Obviously, you need someone, you need a coach that's going to help drive that as well. Uh, unfortunately for me, I, I got that too. Halfway through 2.13, somebody to come in and, and totally enable me to become the player I wanted to be. Yeah, and look, you had some brilliant years under Daryl Powell. I want to get on to Daryl Powell because we had him on the podcast and you know he's a fascinating character. I just want to know your, your views on him. But that I found really interesting that you just said there, that you're, you're competitive. So you knew, you backed yourself, that you know you know if you put in your performances and you gave it that extra whatever... That you would be able to turn it around and convince people, um, and, and post rejection, I find quite, find that quite fascinating. But what was it then, in terms of on a match day, that you then did differently, having been turned down by Saints? Uh, it's, it's tough, really. I think what you take onto match day is what you do in the training field as well. Massively important. It's getting as a centre, you need the people around you giving you the service you need, playing the way you want to play, and I suppose that's relevant for every position. You need your teammates to be helping you play your best and you need to help your teammates play the best. And that's that's why being a good team player is so important. It'll be in every team's values across Super League and every sport. Uh, so for me, it's, it's sometimes you've got to be a bit selfish. Call any team player, but to get the best out of my game, I knew the kind of service and stuff that I needed and the people I needed around me as well. It, it is massively important. and. And I've been fortunate enough that I've had some pretty class halfbacks in me as well around me. Um, you obviously need some good fullbacks; they're important in the way we like to play at Castleford, and and the, you need players that can enable other players to play better. And um, I had to get the saying that I need some good players around me to get the best out of my game. And I think I've been fortunate that I've had that people like obviously Luke Gale, Luke Dawn, Zach Ardaker, players like that who take people to a new level and help you be better as well is uh, is very important to my game I know we've had we've had Paul McShane on Mark haven't we on the, on the pod and uh, you know he spoke so glowingly about Daryl Powell I know it's not all down to a coach but he said quite honestly that Daryl gave him the platform to transform himself into a to a man of steel which came out of nowhere I don't think anyone really saw that happening at his stage of, of his career um, what, what was it like when Daryl turned up at Cass because when we had him on he said that when he first arrived he knew that there was a massive culture shift which had to happen and it had to happen quick if you were going to be successful 100% yeah we weren't massively in a, in a good place and and you could you could feel it you could sense it and um, and I was thinking what have I done <laughs> at the time um, so the club wasn't 
in a great place. We weren't playing particularly well on the field. We were playing terrible on the field. And the, there was a change that needed to be made, 100%. Um, and, and initially, I think they were looking at, at Jimmy Lowe's coming in. Uh, but that, that didn't work out. God knows what would have happened there. Could have been the same. But um, fortunately for us, Daryl got the job, which was, was massive. And just his immediate stamp on the place. And he obviously spent a bit of time getting to know his players, understanding their environment. I mean, this this is where we're at. When Daryl first got the job, we we would, um, I think we were knocked out of the cup at the time. So we'd had, a, we'd been given four days off. But Daryl, Thinks right. I mean, while they're off, I'm going to try and meet a few of them before we come back in. Have a coffee away from the club, set out what I'm about, get to know him a little bit. So I meet him. He tries phoning Daryl Clark and a few of the other boys, but they've gone. They've gone for a lads' holiday in Magaluf. So that's the kind of culture you're talking about. But these are young lads that rugby's um, a little. I think the sport. And sports, being a sportsman in general, has changed over the last five, five, six, seven years from from that time. But that's where our kind of culture was, and it wasn't a good. It's not what I wanted it to be, and and I think for him, imagine that because he thought somebody was taking the mick, Daryl, but uh, Daz Clark, he thought, nah, you're not Pauly. Put the phone down on him. <laughs> so Pauly phones him back and goes, no, mate, it's Pauly. I wanted to, I want to meet you. He's like, all oh, right, well. Cat a minute. Um, so anyway, I think they met up, and then do you know what I did though? I just got smiles on dials to start with. It was it's an interesting when you look back and how you'd approach that coming into a, a culture that needs changing, a team that's low on confidence. But he got the boys working hard. He got fun into the sessions. He got us wanting to come to, to training and, and be around each other, and, and created that kind of team spirit again. And um, even though we finished bottom that year, we had a pretty decent run towards the back end and we always spoke about look so there's no relegation we're all right but we're building for summer next year this is about 214 even though it was due july august 2013 he has the long-term vision to look for look we're i'm building you into pre-season so you come in that first week of pre-season excited to be here we're building for something a bit more special pre-season's not long enough for me to do this i have to start it now um <coughs> And for my individual game, he sat me straight down. We started doing some clip and some footage and the experience playing in the centre. And saying, mate, your game's got a bit stagnant. You're doing the same thing. I want to start mixing your lines up. I'm going to these plays with you. I want you to run these different lines. You have to be hard to handle. I don't want teams doing a game plan. You go in this. This is all he does. And just got me thinking about the game rugby in a different way, really. Became a bit more of a student of the game, watching game, watching different players. And, and for me and my development, as a player and as a person, just been absolutely massive. He's just got, I suppose he's got imprints on me now as a person, the way I reflect on things, the way I look at game of rugby life, I suppose. I mean, there's bits that I won't want to be like him, don't get me wrong. Um, but there's areas where I think, yeah, I'm a little bit different in that area, but there's so many good things about him as a bloke and as a coach. Yeah, you just have to take on board, really. I find so much of that fascinating. Uh, from my own career, probably the only coach I would have loved to have played under would have been Daryl um, Powell. Um, from my experience work playing in the game and, and knowing coaches, I think you usually have two two kinds of coach. You have a, a player's coach that can improve you as, as a player and, and, and looks in a little detail into improving your performance week on week, week in, week out. And then you have like a more of a team manager that just galvanises a team and is more of a just team focused and doesn't really go into the detail of, of each player. And you know what Michael was saying there, I think he's probably perfectly encapsulates a coach that, that does both really well. What one stat that, that I think I find amazing and doesn't get celebrated enough is the fact that in about eight eight years coaching Castleford, he's had four man of steals in Luke Gale, Zach Hardacre, and the two hookers, Paul McShane and 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 Daryl Clark. Now I, I find that amazing that that one coach can can see the quality in each of those players and bring it out of them on, on, on a performance basis, but also probably personally as well and, and get to know that player and get them firing every week so that, that they want to play for that coach. And like I said, I don't think it, his achievements uh, as a playing coach and a team manager get probably the recognition they deserve enough. And um, yeah, I'm quite envious that, that Michael and some of those guys got to work with him because I would have loved to have been, been coached by Daryl, I think. 
I, I just wish that story had gone though, Michael, where he'd gone out to Magaluf to meet the lads, to have the meeting, you know, to say, right. Because, I mean, Magaluf is a fucking weird place. Have you, have you been? Yep. Yep. I mean, again, we're talking from someone, probably Mark would say, looking down from my ivory tower, but it's a bit like safari, isn't it? Going to Magaluf. It's kind of, you, it's, it, it, it's, a, anything goes, anything goes. Just the, safari. Just the idea of every... <laughs> yeah. Do you want to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, go on. Yeah. It's just, no, just in, in the sense that I can just imagine, you know, it's just a people watching place, isn't it? It's the, it's the ultimate place for people watching. You, you can go there and you don't have to be immersed in the Magaluf stuff. But I, just the idea of, of all the lads just like, ah, we're just going to pop off to Magaluf for a week and then Daryl pass on the phone, get the fuck back here now. Because, Michael, for me, when, <laughs> when, you, when you say culture shift, I, I find that, I mean, you could do a whole podcast on... on on a culture shift at a club I guess Daryl has to come in and tell me if I'm wrong he, he's not afraid to to upset the fans because he, he's, he it's, it's on him you know if it doesn't work he's the one who's going to be out the door so he's got to make his changes but I also find that really interesting that he goes to his key players and maybe he did this to everyone but like you said he came to you and said this is what this this tiny little thing this little tweaking this and that he's, he's already fully aware of what he's going to say to make you a better player to get you on side to get the senior players on side and then it has a snowball effect doesn't it and it clearly worked it clearly had the, the impact that that he wanted 100% there's so many little details that, that he'll look at and that they're important that, that can change the dynamic of your team and and make somebody a little bit happier to play a little bit better and if you get that we talk about one percenters but if you get that out of your 20-man squad it turns out into quite a lot uh some of the stuff flash was talking about there and, and his, his management and then his, his his actual coaching ability individuals and, and coming up with game plans and tactical knowledge is, is outstanding but something as well is that the cast with our resources that are massive it's not like we have a director of rugby at times or, or over people driving the club side of it as well. So he grabbed hold of that and he wanted to improve the club as well off the field and, and get standards better and, and get more people coming in to watch games and the club earning a bit more money and, and us kind of connecting back with the club side of it as a playing group. Sometimes that can get disconnected um, and he tried very hard to do that. And so there's all different elements to that. And then if you get the boys buying into buying into the club and the community... How quickly did they buy into it? How, how quickly did he win people over? I mean, I imagine he upset quite a few people along the way. Oh, I'm sure he did. He's got, he's, but he ain't scared of upsetting anybody. It's, it's, it's the front up saying, this isn't good enough, you need to be better at this. That, whether that's someone off the field, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach... We need to be better. And one of the main things he kind of turned was what's expected of you standards-wise and, and, and looking after our environment. He said, look, at Castleford, we haven't got the best environment. We haven't got what Wigan Warriors, what St. Helens have got. What we've got is ours and we need to make that special. So we respect it. We respect each other. We respect the environment. Um, not the, well, our training environment, I mean. Um, so you have a cup of tea, you wash that up. There's all little bits like that in making everything immaculate from how the gym was operating, tidying the gym, it needs to look when you leave as it did when you come in. So there's all little bits off the field that he implemented just to change little bits of getting our respect back, looking after each other. If someone else doesn't do it, you cover up for them. Because if you don't, I'm going to find you as a team or one person's individual mistake. And and with those little bits, you're like, guys, we got the top in it. And that's what we've, we all fought to start with. But then as it all comes together and you start seeing it working out on the field and in the training environment, you start thinking it makes sense. All these little bits add up to quite a lot. Um, and then it grew to uh, growing the leadership of the team and, and getting the voice of the players across and, and being the ones who are speaking in video sessions. If we've got an issue, is raising it with each other. And that is that is one of the hardest things to create, i found in my time in the game, is, is, is getting that getting the players to buy into that stuff and being honest with each other because it's tough to hear at times, it's tough to say. Uh, but if you can get that honesty and the people connecting with each other and giving each other critical feedback at times, not in a bad way, it can be immense for you. Um, so he's the kind of master of that. He's also a good storyteller as well. He's got loads of stories. I think I've heard them all now, probably about five times. But <laughs> he, uh, he can create emotional ups that you need to buy into and 
And at the moment, we're, we're kind of going for a little bit of that. Obviously, me retiring, Milo, him, him leaving, players leaving. It's a bit of an ending era for us at the moment. So we're kind of going for one of those little emotional stories at the moment uh, that the story's kind of telling itself. So it's pretty easy, but there's all different bits that he used when he first came in to kind of get the tradition and the history of the club across to the players and, and people like Yamal Reelis, Alan Ardestis, who have been absolute champion players who've won trophies for the club, who've gone on to represent the countries and people who've been in rugby league a long time, think of Castleford, they think of John Joyner, they think of Mal Reilly, Alan Ardestis, and he got those guys in to talk to us and we've never had that before. Somebody that really bought into the club and, and the history and what it stands for. And it kind of creates that emotional attachment to the team. And and for me, that it, it's very special, really, that someone thinks about something that deep and took the job that seriously to do that. And it, and it kind of created what we've done now. So when you talk about people talking highly enough, I can't talk about highly enough. He's a, he's a great thing for my career and for the club. That leadership group, getting that leadership group together seems quite a pivotal moment for me and how he, how he did that. I'm interested in how he got you on side and how he pinpointed you because you became captain. And it's a great story for you, isn't it? To be, as you, in your own words said, rejected by St. Helens and you come back and you know, you're back to the club that you love and you're, you're a leader of this team which is going places and from where Cass came to be suddenly Challenge Cup runners-up and, you know, winning the League Leader Shield and, you know, all right, you could, the cynics might say, oh yeah, but they never won it, but they got to, to second. That's still a massive, massive improvement from th this club that you painted the picture of that was in financial turmoil and so on. But he had this particular, it's a bit like, you know, NFL, you have your, your sort of five or six leaders. I mean, Mark, you were a, a, a 16th of a captain, I think, when you were at Salford as well. He wasn't, he was joint captain of the Mossop days, before he bites. But that leadership group is key, isn't it, Michael? 100% yeah, uh, I think when the coach is implementing that you have to get the buy-in from the players and the only way you get all the players on board is if your senior players, the guys that I suppose the guys that the rest of the team respects, start doing those little things as well and to do that obviously you had to spend a bit of time with us and, and it took some challenging, it took, took a lot, we'd, we'd take a lot of responsibility for a lot of that as well and it'd like us taking taking some classroom sessions we'd have to get up and talk and present and and he's done that throughout his time at the, the club uh, I'm always there's always people up presenting no matter where you are now it's got to the stage where it was mainly the the senior guys and the leaders doing it but over the last three or four years we've obviously the change of halfbacks we have a young a young spine except Macca uh, that are quite quiet and to try and bring them out of the shell, it's, you're constantly trying to evolve people and develop people, but you need your halves and your spines to be to be loud and vocal. And they might be off the field, that's okay, but once they step onto the paddock, they have to be good communicators and and things like that. So a lot of our job really is we're working with Daryl is bringing those guys out of the shell and comfortable so they know what they're talking about. Sometimes it's they're a little bit unsure whether to say something because they're not quite sure if it's the right thing to say but they have to learn from experience and back themselves and get there. I'll ask you this, Michael. So I remember putting this to, to Daryl. Do you think, because he's been there so long, Daryl Powell, um, a, a coach's voice can become can become stale, kind of the message can become stagnant. And as good as and as successful as you've been, I think he even said he felt like he needed the new challenge, the Warrington challenge. Obviously he wants to go out with a bang, but... you know, you said, oh, I've heard all the stories and I know you're saying that you know, lightheartedly, but... When you're somewhere so long, it, it, you, you might need a new message eventually. 100%. Um, I think eight years coaching one team is an incredible long time and, and, and he's done so well. And it's very rare that you see a coach be able to walk away from his job uh, by himself on his own decision, really. So um, that that's, shows what kind of coach he is and how well thought he is at Castleford. But yeah, sometimes it's, different circumstances and, and, and what he was after and a new challenge in himself uh, and, and, and a different environment for himself maybe that's so that's the reason I think he came with that but absolutely um, I think change can be good but you have to prepare I think the clubs have plenty of time now to prepare for it and, and obviously they've got the new coach in place and things like that so um, no I think I think sometimes some of the boys definitely ready ready for a new voice ready for someone else see a different view um, 
see how somebody else coaches the game is is massive. But also, what our boys have learnt as well from Daryl can hopefully the new coach takes that on board and and, and listens to those guys because they'll have some some great ideas and they'll learn so much they won't even know about as well. Look, I imagine there's a few chapters that you still want to write because you fractured your cheekbone in August in some sort of uh, rocky comeback. You're back in the team to lead the Tigers into um, into the playoffs uh, against Warrington, or against the team that Daryl is going to on, on Thursday night. This is uh, could have a Hollywood ending, couldn't it? Like I said before, it's just, the story's just writing itself, this one. Um, so, obviously, all the emotion that's going with it. But, yeah, we've, we've still got plenty to play for. Um, it's, I know it's the last regular game of the season, but for us, it's, it's playoff mode already. It's a must-win game for us. Oh, we're knocked out. So, uh, our preparation began yesterday. Um, just getting ready for this one because it's, so, it's such a massive game for us. And our, and our season rides on it. Yeah, I mean, amazing end mark, isn't it, really, when you think. And, and when you look back on... On Michael's career, really. I mean, how you played with him, Mark. You've obviously, you know, know him, know him reasonably well. When he does hang up the boots, how will he be remembered when we're all sixty years old in a pub talking about the good old days at Cass? I think probably, you know, when Cass have had this success these last eight or ten years, probably a little bit before that as well. Michael's integral to that, and he's probably. Um, he'll be remembered for, for being the main man for, for the last 10, 15 years at, at the club. And, you know, I've seen him, I've played with him, been lucky enough to play with him and against him. And I've seen his game evolve. He was always, you know, a right centre. He was he probably, like you said early, you knew what he was going to do. He was still very hard to handle, but his game's changed. He played a little bit on the left as well. His, his, his lines and his, how, he, how he takes people on his chains. And I think, um, you know, to be a leader for a club that's, you know, been underachieving for many many years to 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 be where they've been these last this last few years competing for honours and and leading a team out at you know Wembley and at, 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 at Old Trafford is, is something you should be immensely proud of and um, you know he'd be remembered as a, a great opponent of mine and, and a mate as well. And it's a difficult one, Michael, for you, isn't it? Because obviously you're in absolute game mode because it, like you say, it's such a big game against Warrington on Thursday. But you've had plenty of time to think about what next. Are you looking forward to just getting very fat like John Wilkin? Are you? I mean, what What does the future hold for you? Coaching, media, what What excites you going forward in the next 10 years? It's, uh, I'm not sure I'd ever get fat. I'm just going to go skinny, even skinnier. That's just the way <laughs> I am, I think. But no, I, I love training and stuff like that. I go mad after two weeks of saying, no, I'm just going to let my body heal. I'll just be like, no, I need to get back to the gym and just find it a good place to get my thoughts in order and uh, doing a bit of corner, a little bit of weights. Don't get me wrong, it won't be no power lifting like we do for rugby players. It'll just be all the beach weight machines. I'm looking forward to just doing that and <laughs> get a body Cables. like flash. Yeah, just, just that. Curls, curls for days. Just a beach, a beach body. Um, and get the body back to some normality and feeling, and feeling okay. Uh, what the future holds next is, is I've kind of, I prepared for it. Um, unfortunately, I've not got something lined up like in stone yet. It's it, it's still still a few little bits to to sort out with myself. So um, hopefully that that sorts out. But um, I've gone and got my degree in sports business management, and and there's there's different bits that. I can get into my my goal is to stay stay in the sport as long as I can really rugby league's it's what I know I, I love it um, I think I've got a lot to offer um, the coaching side of it does does entice me towards that a little bit it's that developing players kind of the stuff I've spoken about in this podcast really and kind of implementing what I've learned onto someone else it'd be quite an exciting role for me so. Uh, I think there's different bits where I can focus on what on what I'll be good at. He's not giving anything away, Mark, but he's got Daryl Daryl Powell's got to be tapping him up. Has he come to Warrington? It's a lovely part of the world. Lovely part of the he's, world. He's, he's, procra- he's procrastinating nice again. <laughs> he's procrastinating on making a decision again. Can I the come with your coffee houses, Mark? Yeah, Mark will go look after you. We need a new pot wash, actually. We need a new pot wash. <laughs> you can do some dishes for us. <laughs> 
Well, mate, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us, Michael. Um, and I hope you do have the, the Hollywood ending because it would be such a good way to go out, wouldn't it? As you say, 400 appearances, 18 seasons uh, in the game, and it's all coming to an end and it could end in glory. Let's uh, let's hope it does. Um, we're looking forward to watching that one on, on Thursday night. Uh, enjoy retirement as well. Um, enjoy getting skinny. And we will see you, little buggers, next week with a new episode of uh, Out of Your League. Don't know, I, I can't even tell you if Wilkins is going to be here next week. Are you going to be here, Mark, next week? Or is it just going to be me? Um, I'll see how I you, feel. You see, you, see, you see who's on. See who's on and then make see a decision. On, yeah. If it's an old friend, I'll, I'll yeah. do it like Shenny. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Uh, give us a little follow, everyone, at, out of your RL. And we'll see you all in seven days' time. Can't wait to see you. I miss you already.